Welcome to Acquire, Tearsheet's marketing podcast. I'm your host, Tearsheet's head of studio, Rebecca Cohen. Today's episode is a special one because it's the 16th and last episode for this season of Acquire. It's going to be great. While putting Acquire on hiatus, we'll be rolling out an exciting new project in collaboration with Publicist Sapient called Steez, all about Gen Z and financial services. This is probably the first you'll be hearing of this, and you'll be hearing a lot more about it. It's a huge project. Um, it's a huge undertaking because there's a huge gap in financial services when it comes to understanding Gen Z. So I've invited executives from companies who are serving Gen Z currently across the financial space, as well as Gen Zers themselves, to join me in a five-part conversation that will hopefully help our listeners understand what it means and what it takes to capture the light and retain the youngest consumer in financial services today. In the coming days, we'll be publishing the Steez Guide, which lays a foundation for these conversations where we ask and answer the important questions about the challenges and opportunities of standing up for Gen Z. So look out for the guide and the first episode, which will both be coming out later this month. Also this month, in case you missed it, we are less than two weeks away from our first in-person conference in a very long time, taking place September 15th in New York City, Tearsheets Power Payments Conference, aka TPOP. We'll be speaking with and hearing from leaders in the payment space, including Goldman Sachs, Wise, Visa, Intuit QuickBooks, Citi, Quavo, Marquetta, and Block, aka Square. Speaking of Square... For the season finale of the Acquire podcast, I thought it would be nice to speak with one of the leading marketing executives in the space and CMO of Square, Lauren Weinberg. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Lauren and I will be talking about the 13-year evolution of Square's growth on creating a unified brand ecosystem across totally different markets from actual farmers markets to all of SoFi Stadium on exporting Square's familiar at-home brand across oceans by going to market in new cultures and geographies like Spain and France, and how the different teams in the company work together to make it all happen. So let's start at the beginning. I'm sure all of our listeners, myself included, are curious to know more about Square's story. The brand has been around and seen the changing tides in the financial industry over the past 13 years, which we can all agree were pretty monumental for FinTech at large and payments specifically. Lauren, you've been with Square for over five years at this point, so I'm sure you have a ton of input um, that you can share with us on, on keeping up with the times from, from behind the scenes of really one of the largest firms in the space. How has Square's marketing adapted and grown internally and externally to reach the audience that you guys have today? Yeah, so there's been so much change at Square in my five-year history. So I would say to begin with, let's just talk about like, not even including what's happening in the media landscape, but just inside the company, I would say, you know, we've really expanded our portfolio of offerings. You alluded to this in your intro, but the fact that we can serve, you know, really large enterprise businesses like SoFi Stadium, but we still have great solution for smaller businesses as well. So we've really expanded the audience that we're speaking to, which is resulted us involving our strategy in the ways that we go to market. And we could talk a little bit about that. And I think that the other really big area is global expansion, which you also talked about. But we know Square has always been a global company, but in the last year and a half, we've expanded into three new countries. And our approach for how we entered those markets was really different than how we entered the markets that we were in previously, including the US and the UK and Canada, Australia and Japan. 
So it's been a, a lot of scale evolution. And I think us really being responsive to both what's happening in those markets from an economic standpoint, and also just, just where Square is at. So I think when we entered in the U.S., for example, there were not very many companies in the space. We were predominantly really speaking to that long tail micro merchant, and we were providing a solution for those businesses that didn't exist before. I think if you fast forward to where we are now, which is 13 years later, we're entering into markets that have existing um, offerings for business owners. And we're really going in and speaking to businesses of all sizes. And so it's a really different approach to how we're entering those new markets. So I'd love to talk about some of those new markets. And, and, and just to put this in context, we all know the um, the past two years, two plus years were turbulent worldwide. I, I don't think there's been many conversations without mention of the pandemic's effects or then the current inflationary environment and the war and all the insecurities and uncertainties on pretty much every corner globally. But the past two years were actually pretty optimistic and exciting for Square. You launched in Ireland and France last year and earlier this year in Spain. What does entering new markets and new languages, new cultures look like from where you're sitting as Square's CMO? Our approach has been really nuanced for each market. I think, you know, every country, Ireland, France, and Spain are all culturally unique. They all have different fact facets that are really leading into like what's happening there from an economic standpoint, what players exist already, what's the climate like there. And so we've our approach has been to enter each of these markets with um, a really culturally appropriate message and tone. Um, I think we're new in these places. And so we've really taken an approach of trying to have a very like humble hello in those markets. And each one has been really different. So Ireland, France, and Spain are all really different from a cultural perspective. And so have our campaigns in those markets. And one of the changes that we made going into this year is that we hired um, our first creative agency of record in Europe. So 72 and Sunny has been working with us and they have people on the ground in all of those markets. And I would say I'm really proud of the work that we've done there because we're featuring real sellers, merchants in each of those markets. Um, and I think we, we see when we launch there that there's a lot of really positive social buzz from people in those countries that recognize that this isn't just like an American spot that we then did in Spanish language. It's really that, that they recognize like the scenery and the backgrounds as being part of their country. And that's very much been part of our approach, which is it needs to feel like square from a design standpoint, but it should also feel like it's something that was designed specifically for that market, which it was. Really, some of the most um, more exciting companies that, that, that I speak to are American-based brands that are currently branching out, whether to Europe or Latin America they're, they're realizing that the world doesn't start or end in America. And, and it's an interesting process to think of, of keeping the, the fundamentals and ethos the same, but framing the message differently. I, I'm wondering what are, what are those square ethos from, from a marketing and branding perspective that, that stay the same necessarily across different geographies? We have a couple of different key principles. One is that we really try to show and not tell, meaning we don't want to, our voice is not meant to be really drowning out the voice of our customers. Even in the U.S. where we have the highest amount of awareness, we still subscribe to this philosophy that 
when a business owner is speaking about Square or talking about the benefits of using our solutions, that's a lot more credible than Square just kind of really being in your face about it. So I would say that's definitely one of our like key tenants in terms of how we think about the the brand. I would say we also want to come across as as being confident and humble, which I think is a very like fine balance to strike, which is, you know, we want business owners to feel confident in our solutions that we have what it takes to really help them run their business. This is an extremely personal decision for business owners. And I think back to one of your questions around like, why now? I think one of the things that we've seen with the pandemic is that a lot of businesses have taken this opportunity to really, um, push their business to be more tech forward. I think initially that was sort of born out of a survival technique where businesses were shut down. So they had to pivot to online and curbside pickup and delivery. But as we've seen over the last two years, it's been really one, I would say, challenge after the next. So there was, you know, supply chain issues previously. And so business owners were sort of contending with like, how do I make sure that I have the right inventory in stock? Then there were staffing challenges and it's really been one thing after the next. And we really strongly believe that technology can really help businesses adapt in all of the ways that they've been challenged in the past couple of years. I think if you think about a restaurant business, for example, and the fact that there was a lot of staffing challenges, having QR codes on the table is one way that you can still allow customers to come into your establishment and place orders, even if you are short staff. If you have somebody in your back office that runs payroll for you, you can now automate that and have your payroll run directly through Square. So again, that's one less person that you need. And so it's, you know, we balance, you know, the the very sort of straightforward messaging about who we are and what we do. We also have a ton of content where we tell stories about our customers. And on our social channels, you'll see that it's just dominated by stories about our sellers and what they're doing and really allowing them to speak on our behalf is probably one of our, our key principles. I would I would say that's definitely felt. Uh, word of mouth is, is the most powerful marketing tool, in my opinion. So it sounds like your strategy is really just leveraging that by letting client testimonials speak for themselves. What, what I like about Square is that your solution solves a, a simple payments problem uh, with complex landscapes for it, but, but a simple problem nonetheless for a wildly diverse client base. You're serving restaurants and commerce and beauty and just you name it. And your brand um, manages to tie together the messaging for all of these verticals into really one takeaway, do business with Square. Can you talk about how Square's marketing has evolved in this way and, and what serving a diverse client base looks like from behind the scenes? It's a good question. I would say, I think it's really how we think about the channels that we use and what we use them for. As our business has grown up market, we really have had to adopt our channel mix. And I think the biggest thing, you know, Square has in the US, not in every country, but certainly in the US, a pretty high level of awareness. And a couple of years ago, we did some research. And one of the things that we heard from large businesses was that there's a lot of brand love for Square, but they didn't understand the ways that Square could be used for them. And so I think this is where we think about what channels are the best channels for reaching those enterprise businesses. So if we think about like all the way at the top, right, your SoFi stadiums, 
then we want to be at events, trade shows, industry events. We rely very heavily on communications as a channel to really have, you know, doing press releases, testimonials with some of these bigger clients. It's what you see when you get to our website that really highlights that we are in business with a bunch of really large brands and businesses because the thing that we needed to establish for that upmarket base is like, A, we have the solutions that meet the complexities of their business. And they want to know who else is using Square? How are they using Square? The biggest misperception that we've been working towards overcoming is this idea that Square is only for really small businesses. And so for that next level down, you know, if you're thinking about a business with multiple millions of dollars in revenue, a few locations, a bunch of staff is where we have really amped up our awareness marketing. And so we'll use channels like digital video where we can be really targeted at, at finding those business owners and helping them understand that we have a whole wide range of solutions that work really well for them. And then I think, you know, we have a good amount of awareness for that smaller seller population. And so for that population, it's really just about leveraging our performance channels to just capture the existing demand there. So it's a very specific strategies. I mean, I think the message for Square is very the same and the brand is very consistent, but where we speak to them and how we speak to our different audiences varies um, pretty significantly depending on who we're talking to. You're, you're really building and marketing for different segments in the market, as well as different verticals, and you're doing it all around the world. So I'm really curious now what that looks like. Like, How does your marketing team collaborate uh, within itself and with other teams at Square to, to each win your respective benchmarks, right? but always work together collectively towards the same goal? Yeah, I, I actually think that's a great question because that very dynamic, I think, is is if you said, like, what's the difference between Square now and what it was like when you first got to Square? I think navigating the complexities has really just increased significantly. And so I'll talk about two different areas. I think the first is how do we work with product teams? Um, and I'll talk about that first. And then the second thing is how do we work within our team? Because I think we really strive to understand all the priorities from the product side And then we also want to make sure that the way that we go to market across all of our channels and various areas feels really integrated for our end customers. So starting first on the product side, you know, we have really close relationships with our product partners. It was one of the areas that I was really focused on when I first got to Square, was just making sure that those relationships and partnerships are really strong. You know, Square has opportunities in every direction. And I think one of the hardest parts about being in marketing is really being principled about the things that we decide to work on. And so the way that we typically work is that our product teams, definitely during annual planning, but also on a quarterly basis, are coming to marketing and saying, these are the products that we have coming out. So kind of key features or product launches or audiences that we want to serve. Like these are our top priorities for the year. And so we get briefed by all of our product teams. And then we think about, okay, which of those things are there overlaps between? So how do we, like if there's multiple products and they all want to speak to restaurants, what are we going to say to restaurants next year? And how do we bundle all of that together in a way that is differentiated and very compelling for that audience group. And so that's probably like the first thing that we do is really kind of take all of those inputs and then come back with a recommendation on here's how we would kind of stitch these narratives together and what that would look like when we go to market. And there's, as you can imagine, definitely a little bit of 
negotiation with the teams. And one of the things that we have worked really hard at as an organization is just being really transparent and accountable about how we make decisions, what metrics we're looking at that help guide our decisions. And I think that that's gotten us to a really healthy place where we can't make everybody happy all the time because there's just so much to do. But now I would say what we hear most often from product teams is that maybe they don't love the decisions that we make, but they understand and respect them. And I, from my perspective, I'm like, you can't get any better than that. So that's the way that we work with product teams just to really, there's a lot of just like puts and takes, and we really lean on them to tell us who is this for? Why is it different and better than what already exists in the marketplace? And then they lean on us to say, okay, how do we kind of bubble up these uh, priorities into overarching narratives? What channels would we use? Just looking at the timing of things. We work with our creative team to make sure that the creative concept is gonna come to life in a way that really speaks to that audience. That's very insightful. Thank you for breaking down how you work with the with a product team. I, I think the the dynamic between product and marketing is, is really key. It, it can be uh, difficult, but when there is a flow there, then the company really wins and the customers really win. Uh, so, so how do you work internally within your own team to bring ideas to life? Say within our team, we obviously have a lot of different channel teams. And I think the other really big change that we've made is that we used to go to market and just our, our team was actually called channel marketing. And I think what was happening when I first got to Square is that every channel was working in a silo. They understood the goals and the priorities, but it was like everybody kind of was just like running towards meeting those goals and priorities within their specific channel. And we've been making a very concerted effort over the last couple of years to make sure that we go to market in the most integrated way possible. And so if we are speaking to restaurant owners, I'll just give this example because it was a recent example. We kind of kicked off a new campaign that coincided with the National Restaurant Association show, which is the biggest trade show of the year for that industry. We had a bunch of influencers. We had dinners. We had campaigns running. We did a push with sales. We have a direct mail piece that drops. And so it's really this idea of how do we reach those customers in a really integrated way instead of having a direct mail drop happening in one month. And then there's another campaign that starts and then your sales team is talking to people in specific markets. And so we really try to work in a very coordinated way so that as an end customer, like you've had multiple touch points with our business and they all feel like they fit together and are coming from the same brand and the same message. And you're just leveraging the channels to reinforce the message in a different way. And so those have probably been the biggest shifts. And it's always like, I would say all things and probably every marketing leader that you talk to a constant evolution work in progress. Like we get better every time we do this, but we still, you know, are continuing to learn and grow as an organization. Those sound like really important improvements to your company's workflows. And, and I agree from my experience at Hershey that these dynamics are always a work in progress, but um, anyways, thank you so much for giving our listeners a little behind the scenes of how it's done at Square and, and, and those workflows that enable uh, Square to do everything that it's doing, which is a lot. Square has been doing a lot on all fronts and, and you're really the captain of the ship that's marketing it all. Uh, you manage a huge team, you have huge goals, and, and you're also the co-author of Self-Made Boss, a book about advice and lessons for small businesses. So you're doing a lot. And before we wrap up our conversation, I, I would love to know, is there any chance you can give us your work-life balance tip to stay sane in all the madness? 
So I, I think it really comes down to two things. The first is just like ruthless prioritization. Um, this is something that we talk about constantly as a team. It's something I work on personally on a daily basis. So I'm very organized. I always have a to-do list. I look at all the things that I have to do. And I'm really thinking about what are the most important things for me to do today. I think earlier in my career, I used to try to get through everything on my to-do list every day as I've my responsibilities have grown. That's become much more difficult. And so now it's really around what are the most important things. And that's been a notion that we reinforce across our entire team. We actually just like developed a new tool for our team. It's a whole prioritization rubric to empower everybody to be able to understand how they choose the work that they work on. And if, if they're working on something that doesn't tie into any of our priorities, that's not like going to really contribute to any of our KPIs in a meaningful way, that's probably something that can wait to, for another time. And so, and I would say the second thing is just thinking about the way that you want to work and what you want your boundaries to be. Um, I sort of think about this for myself from time to time. And a couple of years ago over the Christmas holiday vacation, I was really thinking about how I wanted my work-life balance to look like in the next year. And so I wrote a whole, not like, like a little bit of a manifesto, but it was really more of just like, this is how I want to work. Um, these are the times. And I sent it, it was mostly meant to share with like my assistant, but I sent it to the whole team and said, hey, I've had like time over the, the holiday vacation to really reflect on how I want to work. And moving forward, here's how I'm changing my schedule in a hybrid workplace where people are working from home and, and people have all different kinds of family commitments that, that take up their time. It's really about thinking about what's the best way for you. And then, and then holding yourself accountable to really staying true to the, to the ways that you want to work. Totally. Uh, you know, working remotely and, and through many different time zones with coworkers and clients, I, it's definitely possible to end up working nonstop morning to night. So I like the idea of the work-life balance manifesto. I've actually made some kind of version of that for myself. And I, and I find that it's especially helpful if you revisit it and, and, and actually update it every so often. For me, I relocated to the East Coast, but most of my team's on the West Coast. So a lot of that was what are the days that I'm going to be available for evening West Coast hours or hours with Japan and Australia? Because without saying that, it ended up being every day. And I was like, wow, I can't work until nine o'clock every night. That's just too late for my family. And so I think it really is about just saying these are the days that I'm available. And then if something comes up on the other days, maybe I'll take it, but probably I actually won't. And I've learned to just make sure I have a good delegate there and find out what's going on after the fact and just like try to leave it behind as much as possible. I definitely relate to that. And, and, and I think a lot of us managing teams at remote first companies can agree that setting priorities, setting boundaries and, and expectations is the most important way to ensure that we bring our best selves to work every single day. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain, Lauren, and, and for taking the time to speak with us today about Square's brand and marketing efforts inside and out over the past five years with you as CMO. This was episode 16 of Acquire, Tear Sheets Marketing Podcast with Lauren Weinberg, Chief Marketing Officer at Square. To read the transcript of our conversation, you can head on over to the Tear Sheet website. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Acquire will be going on a short hiatus for the next quarter or so as we'll be rolling out the very special project Steez about what it takes to capture, delight, and retain the Gen Z financial consumers. So stay tuned for that. This is the part in the episode where I usually invite listeners to send me their questions, thoughts, and ideas about Acquire to my email. And in fact, 
so many of you have since the first episode way back uh, it was in February. I've had really interesting conversations with some of you so far. So to all the incredible listeners who have been around since episode one or joined somewhere along the way, thank you so much. I hope to hear from you still and bring back an amazing new series very shortly. I was your host, Rebecca Cohen. Until next time.